podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Some of the topics are addiction, fear, faith, self-compassion, relationships, codependency, emotional intelligence, and more. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. This episode is about the guiding principles of healing, growth, and recovery, a method created by Reverend Mark Basden. He talks about hope, self-determination, individuals' unique needs, strength, preferences, goals, culture, and backgrounds, including trauma experiences, as aspects to be considered in the healing, growth, and recovery process. Reverend Mark's approach is holistic and includes support through relationships, small groups, and social networks. He says that these are important factors in the recovery process that can offer hope and encouragement, along with strategies and resources for change. Reverend Mark Basden is a minister and therapist who lives with his family in Alaska. He believes that health providers are not change agents or are there to change anyone, but rather to provide an environment for change that people want to make. As a minister and therapist, Reverend Mark has seen many individuals, families, communities, and churches struggle with emotional and relational distress and addictions. He works in institutions, hospitals, community centers, native villages and reservations, schools, and in front rooms. To read Reverend Mark's full biography, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Here is the interview with Reverend Mark Basden. I thank you so much for collaborating and supporting this podcast in so many ways. Today, we are having a conversation about healing, growth, and recovery, the HGR concept. And my first question to you is, what is another word for healing? The opposite word for healing is injury. We all have the ability to heal from anything we experience. 
from whatever injury could be an event, could be a situation, could be a loss. So it came about because I asked people on the street, if I said the word injury, what's the first word that pops into your head? And they said healing. We heal from all kinds of things, from physical wounds, from emotional turmoil, from mental stress, and from loss or lack of spiritual connection with whatever the higher power may be. It, could, it may be God, it may be a family member, it may be a mentor. We all have the capacity and the capability and the ability to heal. And I think that's important in life in general, because there are always going to be incidents or events that create the chance for healing. So what would you say is another word for healing? Wellness. Wellness. Yeah. What is the HGR concept and what kinds of people can benefit from it? My belief is that the HGR concept can fit any person in the world today. We all have things that we can heal from, are healing from, if we're willing to do some work, to go through some pain, because pain tells us there's something off, it's something's not right. And pain lessens as you go along. So when the healing occurs, through that, growth can happen. You begin to learn more about yourself, be able to learn what you actually feel, uh, learn what trust is about of yourself and others. And that growth is that process of living and learning not only about yourself, but about others around you and how you walk with them in this world. Recovery is that aspect of your in a sense, not fully recovered because it's always an ongoing process, but you live a completely new life for yourself, for others, with others, and you find more joy in your life, both physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. I have seen this work when I personally have worked inside prisons, working with prisoners long-term and short-term. I've seen it happen work very well with adults and youth and children that are struggling with addictions, families that are pulled apart because of mistakes made or because of child protective services or loss. I've seen this work in so many different arenas and I've watched people and I know people today that are still families that are still together, people that are still living a wonderful, joyful life being in recovery. And they end up helping others get better themselves. Is the um, healing growth and recovery concept a faith-based concept? For myself, it is because of my faith and belief, not only in myself, but in the world. It is for me because of my calling and vocation to serve God's people in whatever way I can. It, I work with people or have worked with people that have no concept of faith. They don't even have faith in themselves or belief in themselves that they can be different or do different things. And so 
it's faith not only in ourselves as a person, as a human being with value and worth, but also it's faith that we can contribute to the world around us. So yes, we do bring in, or I use spirituality very directly, but then there are people that don't have that spirituality and have to develop a knowledge of faith in themselves and belief in themselves. An example would be an attitude of someone who said, who feels, believes that nothing I do will ever be good enough for myself or anyone else. That's where I work. That's the work that this can help to create an environment for change to occur first within the person and then in their home, school, community, workplace, wherever it is. And that's why you say that the HGR is centered and driven by the individual. That's what it meant by that. What are the many pathways to HGR, healing, growth, and recovery? The first one, there are so many paths. And as I've listed out in that list of, of HGR, it's just a holistic approach and belief in that everything you touch, everything that touches you, everything that you see, everything that you hear is a pathway to that healing and growth. And it starts with an openness to recognize that I need to change. Something is not right for me, in me, about me. And they're willing to begin to question themselves as to what is it I need help. So that could be by community, that could be by individuals, that could be by family, that could be by reading self-help books, listening to a podcast like yours, Fit for Joy, reading the book. Um, anything and everything can be the pathway. It's what works for each individual person. And that's an important concept to remember that this is individual-centered, not centered by evidence-based practices that is a term used in psychology or cognitive behavioral therapy or other terms that many people have heard. This is about you. Where do you want to heal? You identify what is wrong. And then you have guides that can help you find the right specific aspect that you want to work on. Why do you think some people never come to this understanding or never make the decision to change? I think it is a loss of many things, but it's primarily the communication of our world that it is also the fact that our world t keeps telling us in so many fashions, especially through media, that we are not good enough, that we can feel better about ourselves by what we buy or what we have. I look at commercials all the time. Um, I, we have caught on TV so many things that are lies. They're false truths. They're made up. Um, all kinds of things. And we have lost that 
aspect that years ago that would not have occurred. In the 40s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, there was a concept of the little me and the big me. The little me basically was we didn't talk about ourselves. We didn't purport ourselves as the best. We didn't use I a lot. Now it's the big me where everybody that talks or shares something comes from the I basis. When I have worked with families I and blended families, which means it's a second or third marriage, it is about your kids, my kids. I will do the disciplining. I will do this. I will do that. Everything is about I. When in a relationship, especially a marriage, it's about we, your mother and I. What did your mother actually say? Did you even go talk to her? So there's more splitting and more selfishness in our world today than there has ever been in history. Why do you think the the we has been replaced by the I? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a big question that I think a lot of people would chime in on. For me, my experience, my 60 years indicates to me that we have lost, have quit, quit teaching, quit showing people about values and our morals, and we're letting more things be willing to slide than we were ever in our history as a nation. An example, the biggest example of that is it's hard for me to say the United States because the 50, the United States have not been united for about 30 years. We have states that want to succeed from the union. We have, we sue our own federal government. States sue the government. Nobody is on the same page. We have more inner dynamic fighting than we do inner, uh, inner dynamic growth. Everybody has their own idea of what is right, and they don't want to hear another person's opinion anymore. I think, too, we've lost the ability of appropriate communication. In today's world, I think that it's not the content of what you're trying to present. It's how you're presenting. People are easily more easily offended today than ever in our history. Um, it's hard to have an opinion about anything because somebody is going to be offended. So we almost have to walk on eggshells to communicate with each other today. I think that's a big part of it. We need to be able to go back to the old ways of listen to all points of view, but remain skeptical in making a final decision. So how do we balance the interest in others' opinions and um, self-knowledge? Recognizing, coming to an acceptance, if you will, that we do not know everything, will not know everything, and we were not designed to know everything. Be willing and be open to learn something new. That comes from the heart, not the mind. But that, what the world teaches is, that is the mind. And I suggest, and it's been proven to me so many times, that it is the heart that decides what your brain will think. Sometimes we allow our own hurts to get in the way. An example would be husband and wife are going through a divorce or a rough time in their life. 
and there's hurt feelings emotionally on both sides. So they try to make the other person feel as rotten as they do. It's the old concept of what you think you are and what you think you do, which is poor teaching. They want others to agree with them. For example, um, in a divorce situation, the wife will go seek out friends that agree with what she says about her soon-to-be ex-husband. The ex-husband will hang around with guys that agree with him that that person was a rotten wife. So they enable, if you will, the increase of pain, the holding on to the pain, the trying to get back at the other person. And then when they go to court, it becomes me against you. And everybody around us becomes victims of what we're doing. So I think it's it's multiple fold. It, it, there's so many different ways. It just comes back to that. Are you willing to look at yourself, be more concerned and aware of yourself and how you affect not only yourself, but the people, places and things around you? You might think, well, should I really even just say that right now? Is this the right time? Is it going to fit in? Maybe it isn't time. Um, I just had to decide that three days ago in a training at one of the places I work at. I had to, as I told my friend, I had to sit on my hands and my lips at the same time because it wouldn't benefit anybody for me to share something at that moment in time. It will later, but not right then. Yeah, the the first thing you said when I asked the question, um, if I remember well, it was acceptance. And I, and I think that is the birthplace of self-knowledge that's that's uh, actually integrated with self-knowledge then healing and then change and then connection because i don't think we can connect with others if we are not healed right it's just not possible well you're in our world today we try to help or heal or help others to grow and yet we haven't done the work in ourselves it is easier to address somebody else's issues than it is our own. Good. Wow. That's so powerful. It's hard. Uh-huh. They focused on us. And some of the articles that I am sending you talk to this. And it's called Emotional Intelligent Wellness. And it talks about courage and igniting you to search. I think there's one step even before that. There's called safety. I have a belief that for me to be effective in what I do, I have to be a safe person to others, for others. I have to be accepting of them wherever they're at. I have to be able to build rapport and connection with them. And I have to be able to validate them. And I have to be that as a person first. Then the second step is to create an environment where it is safe, accepting, connecting, and validating. So the change, the healing, the growth, the recovery they want to make can happen. And, and they can develop that within themselves. And it's by the pathways on that list I sent you about how HGR provides that and where people can look for those things. 
That's one of the reasons my ministry is called Center for Healing, Growth, and Recovery, because everybody has that capacity in them. That's um, that's great. I'm still pondering here about uh, what you said. Um, that's not easier, but most people, most of us, um, search to be loved or accepted by others before we love and accept ourselves. Mm-hmm. Wow. Why is that? It's easier. We don't have to put out a lot of energy and work. If somebody is looking at themselves and they see some things they don't like, it's easier to shove them under the rug or become a good ostrich than it is to face them. The hardest thing that people will face in their lives is themselves. In 1955 or 56, there was a cartoon called Pogo. Uh, It was a great little cartoon, little tiger and a kid. I think the tiger was make-believe, but one time when we were in the middle, still in the Korean War, our country was involved in the, I'm sorry, the Korean conflict, and because it wasn't a war. And you see this big oval Victorian full-length mirror, and Pogo is looking into the mirror, and the reflection in the mirror is a very unkept soldier, Korean soldier. And the caption on it is, I have met the enemy, and it is I. In a sense, the philosophy of we are our own worst enemies is pretty factual, because we deal with everybody else but not ourselves. Right. Um, do you think that I, enemy, as you say, as has been said, is an illusion in the end, obviously? It can be. But it's an illusion that people live every day as if it was real. It is similar to a paradigm. A paradigm is a set of values, concepts, or precepts that are neither real nor true, yet are lived as if they are. Let's take a personal view of it. There are many people out there that live with guilt. Guilt by definition, is I have done a bad thing. Shame is I am a bad person because of what I've done. And that shame part is a lot of their attitude and motivation or the engine for what their behavior looks like. So it's easier to deal with somebody else's attitude and motivation or their engine of behavior than it is our own. That's why I really um, believe and value um, relationships, especially intimate relationships, because I think that's one of the ways we can see ourselves clearly and make substantial change. Do you agree, Mark? I agree, because a good relationship also is one that is going to hold us accountable for what we say, what we think, and what we do. They're going to say, hey, I don't agree with you, and you can accept it from them because you have that relationship. As a clinician working with children, families, and adults, the biggest, the number one most influential thing that makes therapy effective is the therapeutic relationship 
that I build, we build together in our weekly or sooner sessions. It's the therapeutic relationship because we are in relationships all the time, whether we recognize them as a relationship or not. Going to the bank, smiling at the teller because we don't know what her day's been like. Maybe be, maybe that therapeutic relationship moment in time that that person needed or say, thank you, please. May I ask a question? When you treat others at the same level that you treat yourself, then things can happen. Healing can occur, whether you see it or not. It's like planting a seed. And what the Bible teaches us is sowing seeds. We may never see them grow, but sometime down the road, that person may say, hey, remember that person that treated me nicely or said thank you to me? It can change everything. Yeah. The the way for them and us. Oh yeah. The way we make people feel and the way they make us feel. Right. And the way we feel about ourselves. Oh, of course. Right. Oh yes. That's the birthplace. Yeah. That's the, the Yeah. That's the validation of what I was sharing. Yeah. Some days there are some days that I don't seem like I made a difference or nothing I did seemed to be right for myself or anybody else. And I have to walk out the door of my work or a person's home or on the way to visit somebody in the hospital, whatever it may be. And I have to pat myself on the back and say, you know, you just being there was good enough. Nice job. Sometimes we have to validate ourselves. And we have a world that doesn't teach that. We have a world that teaches us to react rather than looking at the situation, observing what's going on, and responding in appropriate ways. We teach reactiveness. Oh, that made me think about something else like you talking this way. Um, we have heard a lot about um, faking. Uh, fake until you make it. Right, that's the phrase, right? Um, and I know that a lot of the concepts, a lot of these healing concepts that um, that are out there that you are talking about, that I may talk about, people might just um, kind of try to practice them in the way of, in that way of faking it. Like, you know, um, for example, walking around with um, a smile on their faces so, you know, they can connect with others, strangers. But they are not, they don't really mean um, to, they are trying to practice the idea of showing uh, inner peace or happiness so that can affect other people, but they are not actually happy or peaceful. What do you think about that? It goes on all the time. Um, and there are people like myself and, and others. Um, I have a friend of mine living in Tennessee right now that can see right through it. Uh, Dr. Gottman, who is phenomenal in his work with couples, um, is one of those that can see through those masks that they put. Um, we all do it because we're scared of what people will think of us if they find out. We're more worried about what others think of them than they are of themselves. 
and it puts us behind all the time. Um, and I can relate since I have done that for years before I went through my own process to begin to work on my inner self and my true being. Some of that was turning myself over to God and letting him teach me. But we all wear masks at some point or some time. We have a great example of that in Robin Williams. Robin Williams gave us wonderful masks, but we did not feel the pain that he was in emotionally, relationally, until later in life. Well, there, I suggest that there are many, many people out there that are the same way, but they can choose to, I'm tired of this. Fake it till you make it is wearing the mask until the masks no longer work. Oh, wow. Yeah. It falls by itself in a way. Because sometimes it falls by itself, sometimes through programs, um, sometimes through situations, um, criminal, addiction, uh, loss of family, loss of relationships. People begin to see that the masks don't work anymore, and then they become ready to change. They want to find a change that is lasting for them, if you will. And I think that an attitude of healing and growth and recovery is hopeful and creates an environment where they want to change within before they change externally or without. How is the healing, growth, and recovery concept holistic? It encompasses all parts of their own life as they define it. I don't define it as or as what it is. They have to specify it. They have to be specific. What does that look like? How does, if I'm a new guy, I'm a, an outsider, I'm an observer, what am I going to be seeing? And when you begin to ask questions like that, they begin to think through more appropriate answers, more specific answers, they begin to do the work then, and I don't. I be what I am, nothing more than a life guide, a life coach, or whatever they want to consider me as. I can't change anybody. I can't fix anybody. But I can create that environment for them to begin their own process of healing, growth, and recovery. You mentioned that the HGR is supported by connecting with others. So my question is, how are these relationships developed and established? By becoming vulnerable, by allowing themselves to take a risk and share with somebody what is really going on. We cannot do this alone. Healing and growth and recovery does not happen in a vacuum. It takes others. I go back for myself, the Native American tradition of it takes a village to raise a child. Well, it takes a village to heal, to grow, and to recover. We cannot do this alone. We are not independent of everybody else. We were created by God to be in relationship with others. We are. There's no such thing as a hermit, a true hermit. Because they have to come down into 
the world to get some of the things that they need to survive. Even people here in Alaska that live what we call a subsistence lifestyle, where they go out and hunt for their food, they grow their own food um, through gardens and through greenhouses and things like that. They all need other things to help that to grow. They need supplies. They need cut wood to sometimes build a shelter. Now you can do that, but many times you have to get somebody else's work, what they've done to help you meet your needs. So we are all in relationship to something. Mother Earth is a source, not a resource. So we have a connection to the Earth because we need the limbs off the trees. We need all kinds of things from the source of us living. Example of a source is there is a plant called foxglove beautiful flower. It comes in many varieties, but when it's grown in medical greenhouses, the heart medication, digitalis, is made from that plant. So we have a connection to everyone and everything in our world, and we impact the world with just our energy, positive or negative, as we walk through life. But sometimes we get astray or we're led astray. And we need to do some healing to get over some things, to cure some ills inside of us. Maybe it's our attitude. Maybe it's our motivation for the reason we do things. But that's all going to be shown in our behavior. A person's behavior can tell you a lot about what's going on inside of them. And that's the work we get to do. That's the, as my, one of my elders, elders from the Shehalan tribes once taught, it is an honor to do what we do. We honor others by willing to do it, and they honor us by letting us in to their weird little worlds for whatever time we are given. It also goes back to a very ancient 11th century saying that is, what is a man that does not leave a place better than he found it? It sounds very intuitive uh, to me, but uh, it's a hard thing to um, to apply into the world, uh, especially the idea of taking that responsibility to change our environment and changing uh, change people around us, and you know, make just making that change. So when we leave, we have left a better place. Um, but I like that a lot, a lot. Um, so those who need healing, um, one of the ways, powerful ways, as you, as you mentioned, is reconnecting with nature, with everything in nature, especially, and connecting with others. Also, I think those who don't need as much healing, I think all of us need some healing somehow, but maybe some of us who are free of mental illnesses and addictions, I think we should judge less, punish less, and stigmatize less those with problems, issues, especially addiction. It should be the opposite. They should love them. That would motivate them to change, right? To connect again with themselves and the other will help them in making that, this connection or reestablishing this connection. But why are so many people still 
behaving and thinking in this very harsh and negative way about mental illness and addiction. It scares them. Anything that we do not understand, man does not understand, it scares them. They always try to ask the why, which I try not to, because why is like, I'm going to ask somebody to go outside tonight on a clear night and ask them to count all the stars that are in the sky and then come back and tell me in a week. They can't do it. It's impossibility. So we keep asking at times the wrong question. It's easier to keep them away themselves from it so they don't have to think or put out energy to do something. If they agree with it or think that it can be changed, that means that they have to put out some form of energy to help that to happen. We also put people down. We also don't understand the language or the definitions. An example of that is we had a term years ago called mental retardation. Everybody made fun of the people that were supposedly had mental retardation. And yet when that term was first defined, it was based on a time when our country was in the Industrial Revolution. So if your car at that time, your Model A, your Model T, whatever, was having problem running roughly, you needed to either advance the spark or retard the spark. So if you retarded it, all you were doing was slowing it down. Mental retardation meant they thought slower than everybody else. That's how that term came to be. But we have created it into a situation of they're different, they're odd, they're not like us. I'm not comfortable being around them. Part of it is that, part of it is the poor definitions is one. Part of it is to think about somebody else and to be willing to help. You have to put yourself out. And if we live in a selfish society, people are not going to put themselves out as much. And it's in our professions as well. For example, I have worked inside of prisons and worked with sex offenders and worked with murderers and rapists and you name it. And there are professionals at my level and higher that how still ask me today, how can you do that? How can you work and sit across from somebody like that? Well, they're a person. They have value and worth, whether they see it in themselves or not. Yes, I don't condone their behavior. I think it's gross, but they're still a person. And they deserve the same thing I would expect of anybody else toward me. How can you go into a village of 40 people? You've never been there. You're white. You're not one of them. What can I learn from them? That's my attitude. Let them decide how I can help them, not dictate, which is our way, not colonize them, which is our way. But what is it they need? Do I have any skills to help them? That comes back to that. What is our attitude and our motivation, which is shown by our behavior? Am I safe? Am I accepting? Am I connecting? Am I validating? I think another reason that people judge and they push away those with mental illnesses and, um, and, and addicts. Also, um, I believe they 
are somehow uncomfortable with the idea that this could happen to them or that they have some of those, I mean, the, those, the, po- the possibility, right? It's already in them to become one of the, those people or maybe they are in some way one of those people and they don't want to, that's like almost the mirror, like you said, you know, reflecting back. So, and I think you're exactly right. And for each individual person in the world, it's going to be at a different level or a different degree. But there is some form of the fact that something in that other person's life makes them see themselves. Maybe it's an attitude, maybe it's a behavior, maybe it's an action. And then you push it away. Yeah. And then you try to. And so. I'm not like them. That's not me. (laughs) But they're seeing something because we run from ourselves. That's where a lot of healing needs. Through healing, growth happens. And through that growth, healing and growth together, recovery happens. And you begin to live a new life in yourself with joy. Um, You're much happier. Uh, You're much able much better able to go through and meet not only your own needs, but the needs of others, better able to connect, feel good about yourself, have a faith and a belief that you are a good person. Most of the people I've ever met with and work don't believe they're a good person. And it they begin to believe that to the point where they live it. People say, how can she go back to that that husband that beats her? After so many years and after making not the best choices in the world and everything else, what happens is they begin to believe that's the only way that they will receive love or be with somebody, be connected. And they begin, it's normal. It's, it's fine. It's just my life. That's all I deserve. And that's an internal soul heart attitude. And it ends up being the main engine of their lives and how sadly yes it is but our world helps us do that our media helps us continue that um our legal system helps us continue it so the work is more on ourselves and living in truth even though the world says something different um there's an an adage for people do what is right, even if it costs you your life. Yeah, that takes um, courage to change um, one's life to that level of changing your own mind. Because I think we have practiced uh, for so long to think in one certain way that now the brain has been wired, right, in such a way as well. So now the brain's connected to the mind, the mind to the brain. So... Um, and I think you have to work at the, the level of the heart first. Then it will transmit to the mind. And then out, it will be shown in their behavior. Right. Which would say, would you say that the heart would be awareness? You know, like you said in the beginning, like over and over, that was great about knowing what's wrong with me. What is the issues? And then having the courage, you know, courage has to do with the heart. Just trust in the heart and that I have to change and and doing what it it needs to be done. That's that faith in yourself that you have the ability, the capacities to tackle 
yourself and the things that bother you and the things that struggle with you. Um, think of the kids. I work with kids that are adopted and they almost all of them come to a question several times in their life. Why did my real mother or dad abandon me? Wasn't I worth it? Now, they know they have worth because somebody adopted them and they have a great set of parents. But that original foundation, I've seen kids that have been told they're stupid and idiots, even adults, all their lives. And so what do they act like? They believe the lies that have been told and they become the foundation. And when you sit with somebody or and you're allowed into their lives for whatever period of time you're given, and then you you finish your work with them, whatever they've asked for, and they want to move on and see if this is real for them. And then you see them six months, a year, two years, five years, 10 years down the road, or you receive an email, and they're still doing awesome. They're growing, they're, they're maintaining their healing, and they're able to adjust and adapt to whatever is going on in their lives or come at them. That's the reason many of us are still around, that still do what we do is to see that healing growth and recovery continue day by day. That's why I'm here. That's why we're here. We're not here for ourselves. I mean, I just, you know, I think back to all the people I still know and still run into and still meet that I worked with five years ago and see their growth. And it just, I just get a gladness in my heart. But it has to start with them and their willingness to seek it out. So it is that ongoing um, practice of curiosity and practice of of being well, right? That's what I say. I want to be well. I want to connect healthily with others. Yeah, beautiful. Is there anything else that you wanted to say about the HGR, Mark? Seek and you shall find. Be willing to seek who you are, the real you, and then share it with the world. Share that person with the world. That's what it can happen. Um, Coming to my last questions to you, they are the six, my six favorite questions. What is to be your own best friend? To be comfortable in my own skin, to be comfortable with myself wherever I'm at. What is your definition of love? To love something or someone more than I love myself. What makes you laugh? Good jokes, uh, good silliness, and watching other people or <laughs> the TV do silly things. <laughs> silly. I love silly things. <laughs> exactly. But some of that silliness can also just the opposite of common sense. Mm. Oh, I laugh a lot at faux pas that people make for being able to look at them and say, really? <laughs> you want me to believe that? I start laughing. Uh, my right. wife just looks at me like I'm nuts sometimes when I do that. If you were to have one meal every day for the rest of your life, what would that be? Oh, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> I think it would have to be sushi. Uh, it has all, it comes from the earth. 
Everything is given to us and it nourishes so well. And I love, I like seaweed and things. Mm, Super healthy, right? What does success mean to you? Being able to see the healing growth and recovery in others. What is your definition of death? A new beginning. That's great. Really great. Because your physical body is what dies, but the spirit, who you are as a person, as as one of persons that I respect said, your path is known, your heart is known by the path you walk. Death is only the beginning of something new that I've been told by the Bible of what it is, but I still haven't experienced yet. So you believe in life after death? Yep. I know I have a place in heaven to go to, but what that looks like, I'm not sure. Fully sure, because I haven't been there yet. God says it's not time for me to go home. (laughs) 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 Yeah, that's interesting. Some people, they have reported, right, like near-death experiences have um, shown to some people what death is like, what's, what life after death might be like. But and their world is not the same, or their view of themselves and others is not the same when that has happened to them. Right. Oh, it's, uh, it's a life-changing, right? Those experiences most time. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mark, again, for this um, well-being, healing conversation. What else can I say? And fun. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. Where can we find more information about you? I have a Facebook page just under my name, Mark Baisden, where you'll see some of my writings and things of that nature. Um, I also am on a website called 500px, uh, which is a photo website um, that I like to share the world, the world that I see through the lenses of my cameras about the different places that people may have never seen before. And they can find me there under Reverend underscore Mark and MRC, not K. And I'll be hopefully publishing some of these things, not only in your blog, but in at Amazon within a month. Wonderful. Thank you so much again. Have a great week and enjoy a lot. Stay fit. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. You too. You and your family. Thank you again. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Reverend Mark Basden, please visit his website, basdenphotography.zenfolio.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. Bye for now.